0: SECTION 10 OF A DESCRIPTION OF MILLENNIUM HALL AND THE COUNTRY ADJACENT BY A GENTLEMAN ON HIS TRAVELS. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY MICHELLE EATON. A DESCRIPTION OF MILLENNIUM HALL AND THE COUNTRY ADJACENT BY SARAH SCOTT. The history of Miss Mansell and Mrs. Morgan, part eight. When Mr. Morgan's will was opened, it appeared that he had left his wife an estate which fell to him about a month before the commencement of his illness, where we now live. The income of it is a thousand pounds a year. The land was thoroughly stocked, and the house in good repair. Mr. Morgan had, at his marriage, settled a jointure on his wife of £400 a year rent charge, and in a codicil made just after his sister's wedding, he bequeathed her £2,000 in ready money. After Mrs. Morgan had settled all her affairs, it was judged necessary that for the recovery of her health she should go to Tunbridge, to which place Miss Mansell accompanied her. As Mrs. Morgan's dress confined her entirely at home, They were not in the way of making many acquaintances, but Lady Mary Jones, being in the house, and having long been known to Miss Mansell, though no intimacy had subsisted between them, they now became much connected. The two friends had agreed to retire into the country, and though both of an age and fortune to enjoy all the pleasures which most people so eagerly pursue, they were desirous of fixing in a way of life, where all their satisfactions might be rational and as conductive to eternal as to temporal happiness. They had laid the plan of many things, which they have since put into execution, and engaged Mr. Devora to live with them, both as a valuable friend and a useful assistant in the management of their affairs.' lady mary was at that time so much in the same disposition and so charmed with such part of their scheme as they communicated to her that she begged to live with them for half a year by which time they would be able to see whether they chose her continuance there and she should have experienced how far their way of life was agreeable to her Lady Mary's merit was too apparent not to obtain their ready consent to her proposal, and when they had the satisfaction of seeing Mrs. Morgan much recovered by the waters, and no farther benefit was expected, they came to this house. They found it sufficiently furnished and in such good order that they settled in it without trouble. The condition of the poor soon drew their attention, and they instituted schools for the young, and almshouses for the old. As they ordered everything in their own family, with great economy, and thought themselves entitled only to a part of their fortunes, their large incomes allowed them full power to assist many whose situations differed very essentially from theirs. The next expense they undertook, after this establishment of schools and almshouses, was that of furnishing a house for every young couple that married in their neighbourhood and providing them with some sort of stock which by industry would prove very conducive towards their living in a comfortable degree of plenty. They have always paid nurses for the sick, sent them every proper refreshment and allow the same sum weekly which the sick person could have gained that the rest of the family may not lose any part of their support by the incapacity of one. When they found their fortunes would still afford a larger communication, they began to receive the daughters of persons in office or other life incomes, who by their parents' deaths were left destitute of provision, and when, among the lower sort, they meet with an uncommon genius, they will admit her among the number, The girls you see sit in the room with us are all they have at present in that way. They are educated in such a manner as will render them acceptable where accomplished women of a humble rank and behaviour are wanted, either for the care of a house or children. These girls are never out of the room with us except at breakfast and dinner and after eight o'clock in the evening, at which times they are under the immediate care of the housekeeper with whom they are allowed to walk out for an hour or two every fine day, lest their being always in our company should make them think their situation above a menial state. They attend us while we are dressing, and we endeavour that the time they are thus employed shall not pass without improvement. They are clad coarse and plain for the same reason, as nothing has a stronger influence on vanity than dress each of us takes our week alternately of more particular inspection over the performances of these girls and they all read by turns aloud to such of us as are employed about anything that renders it not inconvenient to listen to them by this sort of education my friends hope to do extensive good for they will not only serve these poor orphans but confer a great benefit on all who shall be committed to their care or have occasion for their service, and one can set no bounds to the advantages that may arise from persons of excellent principles and enlarged understandings in the situations wherein they are to be placed. In everything their view is to be as beneficial to society as possible, and they are such economists even in their charities as to order them in a manner that as large a part of mankind as possible should feel the happy influence of their bounty in this place and in this way of life the three ladies already mentioned have lived upwards of twenty years for lady mary jones joined her fortune to those of the two friends never choosing to quit them and is too agreeable not to be very desirable in the society Miss Mansell has often declared that she plainly sees the merciful hand of providence bringing good out of evil, in an event which she, at the time it happened, thought her greatest misfortune, for had she married Sir Edward Lambton, her sincere affection for him would have led her to conform implicitly to all his inclinations. Her views would have been confined to this earth and too strongly attached to human objects to have properly obeyed the giver of the blessings she so much valued, and who is generally less thought of in proportion as he is more particularly bountiful. Her age, her fortune, and compliant temper might have seduced her into dissipation, and have made her lose all the heartfelt joys she now daily experiences both when she reflects on the past contemplates the present or anticipates the future i think i ought to mention mrs morgan's behaviour to her half-sisters sir charles died about five years ago and through his wife's extravagance left his estate overcharged with debts and two daughters and a son unprovided for lady melvin's jointure was not great sir george her eldest son received but just sufficient out of his estate to maintain himself genteelly. By the first Lady Melvin's marriage settlements, six thousand pounds were settled on her children, which, as Mrs. Morgan was her only child, became her property. This she divided between her stepmother's three younger children, and has besides conferred several favours on that family, and frequently makes them valuable presents. The young gentlemen and ladies often pass some time here. Lady Melvin made us a visit in the first year of her widowhood, but our way of life is so ill suited to her taste that except during that dull period of confinement she has never favoured us with her company. My cousin, I believe, was going to mention some other of the actions of these ladies, which seemed a favourite topic with her, when the rest of the company came into the garden and we thought ourselves obliged to join them. The afternoons in this family generally concluded with one of their delightful concerts, but as soon as the visitors were departed, the ladies said they would amuse us that evening with an entertainment which might possibly be more new to us, a rustic ball. The occasion of it was the marriage of a young woman who had been brought up by them and had for three years been in service, but having for that whole time been courted by a young farmer of good character, she had been married in the morning and that evening was dedicated to the celebration of their wedding. We removed into the servants' hall, a neat room and well lighted, where we found a very numerous assembly. Sixteen couples were preparing to dance, the rest were only spectators. The bride was a pretty genteel girl, dressed in a white calico gown, white ribbons, and in every particular, neat to an excess. The bridegroom was a well-looking young man, as clean and sprucely dressed as his bride, though not with such emblematic purity. This couple, contrary to the custom of finer people on such occasions, were to begin the ball together, but Lamont Le asked leave to be the bride's partner for two or three dances, a compliment not disagreeable to the ladies and highly pleasing to the rest of the company except the bride whose vanity one might plainly see did not find gratification enough in having so genteel a partner to recompense her for the loss of her colin he however seemed well satisfied with the honour conferred on his wife that the bridegroom might not be without his share of civility The ladies gave him leave to dance with the eldest of the young girls, more particularly under their care, till his wife was restored to him. We sat above an hour with this joyous company, whose mirth seemed as pure as it was sincere, and I never saw a ball managed with greater decorum. There is a coquetry and gallantry appropriated to all conditions, and to see the different manner in which it was expressed in this little set, from what one is accustomed to behold in higher life, afforded me great amusement, and the little arts used amongst these people to captivate each other were accompanied with so much innocence as made it excessively pleasing. We stayed about an hour and a half in this company, and then went to supper. My cousin told me that Miss Mansell gave the young bride a fortune and that she might have her share of employment and contribute to the provision for her family, had stocked her dairy and furnished her with poultry. This, Mrs Maynard added, was what they did for all the young women they brought up, if they proved deserving, showing likewise the same favour to any other girls in the parish who, during their single state, behaved with remarkable industry and sobriety. By this mark of distinction they were incited to a proper behaviour, and appeared more anxious for this benevolence on account of the honour that arose from it than for the pecuniary advantage. As the ladies' conduct in this particular was uncommon, I could not forbear telling them that I was surprised to find so great encouragement given to matrimony by persons whose choice showed them little inclined in its favour does it surprise you answered mrs morgan smiling to see people promote that in others which they themselves do not choose to practice we consider matrimony as absolutely necessary to the good of society it is a general duty but as according to all ancient tenures those obliged to perform night service might if they chose to enjoy their own firesides be excused by sending deputies to supply their places. So we, using the same privilege, substitute many others, and certainly much more promote wedlock than we could do by entering into it ourselves. This may wear the appearance of some devout persons of a certain religion, who equally indolent and timorous, when they do not choose to say so many prayers as they think their duty, pay others for supplying their deficiencies. In this case, said I, your example is somewhat contradictory, and should it be entirely followed, it would confine matrimony to the lower rank of people, among whom it seems going out of fashion, as well as with their superiors. Nor indeed can we wonder at it, for dissipation and extravagance are now become such universal vices, that it requires great courage in any to enter into an indissoluble society. Instead of being surprised at the common disinclination to marriage, I am rather disposed to wonder when I see a man venture to render himself liable to the expenses of a woman who lavishes both her time and money on every fashionable folly, and still more, when one of your sex subjects herself to be reduced to poverty by a husband's love for gaming, "'and to neglect by his inconstancy. "'I am of your opinion,' said Miss Trentham. "'To face the enemy's cannon appears to me a less effort of courage "'than to put our happiness into the hands of a person "'who perhaps will not once reflect on the importance of the trust "'committed to his or her care. "'For the case is pretty equal as to both sexes. "'Each can destroy the other's peace.' ours seems to have found out the means of being on an equality with yours few fortunes are sufficient to stand the double expense the husband must attend the gaming table and horse races the wife must have a profusion of ornaments for her person and cards for her entertainment the care of the estates and family are left in the hands of servants who in imitation of their masters and mistresses will have their pleasures and these must be supplied out of the fortunes of those they serve man and wife are often nothing better than assistants in each other's ruin domestic virtues are exploded and social happiness despised as dull and insipid the example of the great infects the whole community the honest tradesman who wishes for a wife to assist him in his business and to take care of his family Dare not marry when every woman of his own rank, emulating her superiors, runs into such fashions of dress as require great part of his gains to supply, and the income which would have been thought sufficient some years ago for the wife of a gentleman of large estate will now scarcely serve to enable a tradesman's wife to appear like her neighbours. They too must have their evening parties.' They must attend the places of public diversion, and must be allowed perpetual dissipation without control. The poor man sighs after the days when his father married. Then cleanliness was a woman's chief personal ornament. Half the quantity of silk sufficed for her clothes. Variety of trumpery ornaments were not thought of. Her husband's business employed her attention, and her children were the objects of her care. When he came home wearied with the employment of the day, he found her ready to receive him, and was not afraid of being told she was gone to the play or opera, or of finding her engaged in a party at cards, while he was reduced to spend his evening alone. But in a world so changed, a man dare not venture on marriage which promises him no comfort, and may occasion his ruin, nor wishes for children whose mother's neglect may expose them to destruction it is common to blame the lower sort of people for imitating their superiors but it is equally the fault of every station and therefore those of higher rank should consider it is their duty to set no examples that may hurt others a degree of subordination is always acquiesced in but while the nobleman lives like a prince The gentleman will rise to the proper expenses of a nobleman, and the tradesman take that vacant rank which the gentleman has quitted. Nor will he be ashamed of becoming a bankrupt when he sees the fortunes of his superiors mouldering away, and knows them to be oppressed with debts. Whatever right people may have to make free with their own happiness, a beneficial example is a duty which they indispensably owe to society, and the profuse have the extravagance of their inferiors to answer for. The same may be said for those who contribute to the dissipation of others by being dissipated themselves. But, madam, interrupted Lamont, do you think it's incumbent on people of fashion to relinquish their pleasures, lest their example should lead others to neglect their business? I should certainly, replied miss trentham answer you in the affirmative were the case as you put it but much more so in the light i see it every station has its duties those of the great are more various than those of their inferiors they are not so confined to economical attentions nor ought they to be totally without them but their more extensive influence their greater leisure to serve their creator with all the powers of their minds constitute many duties on their part to which dissipation is as great an enemy as it can be to those more entirely domestic therefore on each side there is an equal neglect and why should we expect that such as we imagine have fewer advantages of education should be more capable of resisting temptations and dedicating themselves solely to the performance of their duties, than persons whose minds are more improved. I cannot deny, answered Le Mans, but what you say is just, yet I fear you have uttered truths that must continue entirely speculative. Though if any people have a right to turn reformers, you ladies are best qualified, since you begin by reforming yourselves. You practice more than you preach, and therefore must always be listened to with attention. "'We do not set up for reformers,' said Miss Mansell. "'We wish to regulate ourselves by the laws laid down to us, and as far as our influence can extend, endeavour to enforce them. Beyond that small circle all is foreign to us. We have sufficient employment in improving ourselves. To mend the world requires much abler hands.' When you talk of laws, madam, by which you would regulate your actions, said Lamont, you raise a just alarm. As for matter of opinion, everyone may demand an equal power, but laws seem to require obedience. Pray, from whence do you take those which you wish to make your rule of life? From whence, answered Miss Mansell, should a Christian take them? From the Alcoran, think you, or from the wiser Confucius? Or would you seek in Coke on Lyttelton that you may escape the iron hand of the legislative power? No, surely the Christian's law is written in the Bible. There, independent of the political regulations of particular communities, is to be found the law of the supreme legislator. There indeed is contained the true and invariable law of nations and according to our performance of it, We shall be tried by a judge, whose wisdom and impartiality secure him from error, and whose power is able to execute his own decrees. This is the law I meant, and whoever obeys it can never offend essentially against the private ordinances of any community. This all to whom it has been declared are bound to obey. My consent to receive it for the rule of my actions is not material, for as whoever lives in England must submit to the laws of the country, though he may be ignorant of many of the particulars of them, so whoever lives in a Christian land is obliged to obey the laws of the gospel, or to suffer for infringing them. In both cases, therefore, it is prudent for every man to acquaint himself thoroughly "'with these ordinances, which he cannot break with impunity.' "'If such obedience be necessary,' said Lamont, "'what do you imagine will be the fate of most of the inhabitants of Christendom? "'For you will allow that they do not regulate their conduct by such severe commands.' "'What will be their fate?' replied Miss Mansell. "'I do not pretend even to suppose. "'My business is to take care of my own.' THE LAWS AGAINST ROBBERY ARE NOT RENDERED EITHER LESS JUST OR LESS BINDING BY THE NUMBERS THAT DAILY STEAL, OR WHO DEMAND YOUR PURSE ON THE HIGHWAY. LAWS ARE NOT ABROGATED BY BEING INFRINGED, NOR DOES THE DISOBEDIENCE OF OTHERS MAKE THE OBSERVANCE OF THEM LESS MY DUTY. I AM REQUIRED TO ANSWER ONLY FOR MYSELF, AND IT IS NOT MAN WHOM I AM ORDERED TO imitate. His failings will not excuse mine. Humility forbids me to censure others, and prudence obliges me to avoid copying them. Lamont thought Miss Mansell too severe in her doctrine, but there was something so respectable in her severity that he forbore to contest it, and owned to me afterwards that while she spoke and he contemplated that amiable society His heart silently acquiesced in the justness of her sentiments. We parted at our usual hour, and at the same time, the company in the lower part of the house broke up, eleven o'clock being the stated hour for them on those occasions to return to their respective homes. The next morning as I went downstairs, I met the housekeeper and entered into conversation with her for which the preceding night's festivity furnished me with topics. From her I learnt that since the ladies had been established in that house, they had given fortunes from twenty to a hundred pounds, as merit and occasion directed, to above thirty young women, and that they had seldom celebrated fewer than two marriages in a year, sometimes more. Nor does their bounty cease on the wedding day, for they are always ready to assist them on any emergency, and watch with so careful an eye over the conduct of these young people as proves of much greater service to them than the money they bestow. They kindly but strongly reprehend the first error, and guard them by the most prudent admonitions against a repetition of their fault. By little presents they show their approbation of those who behave well always proportioning their gifts to the merits of the person, which are therefore looked upon as the most honourable testimony of their conduct, and are treasured up as valuable marks of distinction. This encouragement has great influence, and makes them vie with each other in endeavours to excel in sobriety, cleanliness, meekness, and industry. She told me also that the young women, bred up at the schools these ladies support, are so much esteemed for many miles round, that it is not uncommon for young farmers, who want sober good wives, to obtain them from thence, and prefer them to girls of much better fortunes, educated in a different manner, as there have been various instances wherein their industry and quickness of understanding which in a great measure arises from the manner of their education, has proved more profitable to their husbands than a more ample dower. She added that she keeps a register of all the boys and girls, which, by her good lady's means, have been established in the world, whereby it appears that thirty have been apprenticed out to good trades, three score fixed in excellent places, and thirty married and it seldom happens that any one takes an apprentice or servant till they have first sent to her ladies to know if they have any to recommend. I expressed a desire to see the schools, which she obligingly offered to show me, but feared we could not then have time to go thither, as breakfast was just ready. While I was talking with her, I observed that the fingers of one of her hands were contracted quite close to the palm, i took notice of it to her oh sir said she it was the luckiest accident that could possibly be as i was obliged to work for my support i was very much shocked at my recovery from a fever to find myself deprived of the use of a hand but still tried if i could get myself received into service as i was sensible i could notwithstanding my infirmity perform the business of housekeeper "'but no one would take me in this maimed condition. "'At last I was advised to apply to these ladies, "'and found what had hitherto been an impediment "'was a stronger recommendation "'than the good character I had from my last place. "'And I am sure I have reason to value "'these distorted fingers. "'More than ever any one did the handsomest hands "'that ever nature made.' "'But,' added she, smiling, few of my fellow servants are better qualified the cook cannot walk without crutches the kitchen maid has but one eye the dairy maid is almost stone deaf and the housemaid has but one hand and yet perhaps there is no family where the business is better done for gratitude and a conviction that this is the only house into which we can be received makes us exert ourselves to the utmost and most people fail not from a deficiency of power but of inclination. Even their musicians, if you observed it, sir, are much in the same condition. The steward, indeed, must be excepted. He is one whom the good Mr. Devora chose for the sake of his integrity some years before he died as his successor in the care of the lady's affairs and employed him for some time under their own inspection that he might be sure he was fit for the purpose, though he persuaded the ladies to receive their own rents, and direct all the chief concerns of their estates, which they have done ever since, so that theirs is rather a household than a land steward. But, except this gentleman and the shepherd, there is not one of their musicians that is not under some natural disadvantage. The defects of two of them are so visible I need not point them out, but of the other two, one is subject to violent fits of the stone, and the other to the asthma. Thus disabled from hard labour, though they find some employment in the manufacture, yet the additional profit which accrues from their playing here adds much to their comfort, as to their infirmities render greater expenses necessary to them than to others in their station. There was something so whimsically good in the conduct of the ladies in these particulars, as at first made me smile, but when I considered it more thoroughly, I perceived herein a refinement of charity, which, though extremely uncommon, was entirely rational. I found that not contented with merely bestowing on the indignant as large a part of their fortunes as they can possibly spare, they carry the notion of their duty to the poor, so far as to give continual attention to it, and endeavour so to apply all they spend as to make almost every shilling contribute towards the support of some person in real necessity. By this means every expense bears the merit of a donation in the sight of him who knows their motives, and their constant application is directed towards the relief of others while to superficial observers they seem only providing for their own convenience the fashionable tradesman is sure not to have them in the list of his customers but should be through the caprice of the multitude be left without business and see his elated hopes blasted in all probability he will find these ladies his friends those whose youth renders them disregarded or whose old age breeds neglect will here meet with deserved encouragement this sort of economy pleases me much it is of the highest kind since it regards those riches which neither moth nor rust can corrupt nor thieves break through and steal and is within the reach of every person's imitation for the poorest may thus turn their necessary expenses into virtuous actions. In this they excel others, as much as the bee does the common butterfly. They both feed on the same flowers, but while the butterfly only gains a transient subsistence, and flies and flutters in all its gaudy pride, the bee lays up a precious store for its future well-being, and may brave all the rigours of winter. Man, indeed, often encroaches on the labours of the bee, And disappoints it of its reasonable hope. But no one without our own concurrence can despoil us of the treasures laid up in heaven. As the good housekeeper foretold, the bell soon summoned me to breakfast, which, like every other hour spent in that society, was rendered delightful by their rational cheerfulness and polite freedom. We offered to take our leave, but should have been disappointed had we not been asked to prolong our visit, nor were we so insecure as to make much resistance to this agreeable invitation. We expressed some fears of interrupting their better employments, to which Mrs. Morgan replied by assuring us that we did not do so in the least, but added, "'I will tell you plainly, gentlemen, the only alteration we shall wish to make if you will favour us with your company a few days longer.' Our family devotions are regular, as you were strangers, we have not summoned you to them. But for the rest of your visit, we must beg leave to alter that method. For we do not think it a proper example to our servants to suffer any one in this house to be excluded from them. Though as your coming was sudden, and has been prolonged only, as it were, from hour to hour, we at first did not think it necessary to require your presence you may imagine we expressed ourselves obliged by this frankness and for my own part i was glad of what appeared to me like being received into a community of saints but was forced to wait for it till night the devotion of the morning having been paid before breakfast as was usual in that family mrs maynard accompanied us that morning into the park And having placed ourselves on a green bank under an elm by the side of the canal, I called on her to perform her promise and increase my acquaintance with the rest of the ladies by giving some account of them. I shall not the less readily comply, she answered, for being able to bring what I have to say of them into less compass than I did my history of Mrs Morgan and Miss Mansell, of whom, when I begin to speak, I always find it difficult to leave off, and am led by my fondness for the subject into a detail, perhaps too circumstantial. Lady Mary Jones, by what I have already said, you may have perceived must come next in order. End of section 10